Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany in year A. We are starting a new series today, a shorter series. We spent the first part of the Epiphany season talking about how Jesus appears. Of course, keying off that uh, word Epiphany, uh, making known um, Jesus appears as the, the anointed, the Lamb of God, the light in the darkness. Now we're shifting gears slightly, although though this really is fitting for Epiphany too. Jesus, again, making known uh, who he is and turning uh, to also who his followers are. And Jesus does this by one of the most famous sermons, maybe the most famous sermon ever, the one we call the Sermon on the Mount. So we're starting a three-week series today called The Savior's Sermon. Uh, let me introduce our participants for today, as they have been through this Epiphany season. Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School, and Pastor Phil Kasmer from Christ the Lord in Brookfield, Wisconsin. So thank you guys once again for being on the podcast. Um, Phil Hebner, get us started by talking for a moment about the theme for this Sunday in our series, uh, in this the Savior Sermon series, Trust in God's Strength. Uh, well, you did well to paint the picture of the background, the context, or the backdrop for where we are in Epiphany. And as Jesus is revealing himself, he also reveals himself, you know, not just by the Father or John the Baptist pointing to him, but also by what he says. And so what better way, I guess, than as you said, through this famous Sermon on the Mount, um, sometimes we know this sermon as uh, the Beatitudes, or at least the beginning portion here in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Beatitudes is taken from the Latin word, uh, the word that we know in English as blessed, uh, and that's where we get that Beatitudes. So we're going to think about all the reasons that we are blessed, but not from a worldly standpoint. Uh, what Jesus says kind of flips everything upside down for what would not make sense in this world, or necessarily even to us, unless we're looking by faith. And so that's why the theme for today is to trust in God's strength to get us through the difficulties of life and uh, for Jesus to flip things upside down that we look to him in faith for all that we do. Great. Yeah. Good, good summary of, of the theme for the week. Um, yeah. Jesus turning things upside down. Where do we look for strength? Not to ourselves, but to him. Um, along those lines, uh, Phil Kasmer, let's go to you next. Could you uh, talk about the first and second readings uh, today and how they'll connect with the gospel, uh, which will be our sermon focus today? Yeah, that theme uh, is throughout the readings again, of course. Um, sometimes I like to just look ahead and dip into the prayer of the day to catch the flavor of the day, which uh, on this Sunday in Epiphany says, Look with mercy on our weaknesses, and in all our dangers and needs, stretch out the right hand of your majesty to help and defend us. Um, there's definitely a theme of our weakness, meekness, inability, and the Lord's providing strength, which uh, that's the prophet's call in Zephaniah chapter 2 uh, to seek the Lord and to trust in the name of the Lord in verse 3 at the beginning, and then down in in verse 12, um, and describes that by, in verse 3, talking about doing what God commands and seeking righteousness and humility, or these uh, things that he describes as right and good, and way down at the bottom of that first lesson, you see that 
effected or realized in God's people. They, they do no wrong and they tell no lies and they are what God wants. The people he's speaking to in verse 3 and 12 are the meek and the humble, humble the remnant, the humble of Israel. So not any kind of strength on their part, uh, but strength on God's part and a definite call to rely on him, which is also what Paul shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, speaking to the, the brothers and sisters in faith in Corinth and reminding them of who they were. They were not the princes and princesses of the world. Uh, they weren't wise or influential or of noble birth um, because God's design is that no one may boast before him. Uh, and instead, because of God's power and love in Christ Jesus, they boast in the Lord who shames the wise and shames the strong and nullifies the things that are and all the stuff that we could put uh, strength in in this world uh, and finds wisdom and righteousness, holiness and redemption or everything we need in God and in specifically the one he has sent, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks for that summary. Um, I could point out here too that uh, the gospel, Matthew 5, 1 to 12, is also the gospel for All Saints Day. So it might have been not that long ago that some preachers were dealing with this text on All Saints, first Sunday in November, just a few months ago. Um, but it, it's maybe worth taking a look if you're thinking about preaching on this text again. Um, the different ways the lectionary will emphasize different points in the Beatitudes or kind of different major themes. Uh, All Saints Day kind of looks forward. Um, we are saints in God's sight, blessed. And then you might have a reading from Revelation 21 paired with that. So looking at the future of God's saints um, and the future glory that will be ours, hints of which are in this Matthew 5 text. But yeah, then worth looking at um, Zephaniah, 1 Corinthians again, in connection with the gospel, same gospel, but for this Sunday, kind of the emphasis being on uh, we are weak, but he is strong. Um, this is our identity in Christ. So that, that'll be something for preachers to ponder um, since, you know, the, the first Sunday in November wasn't that long ago. Um, if you're looking at the, the same gospel, look at how the lectionary kind of brings out different parts or different aspects of the gospel. Um, well, let's talk about it then a little bit, uh, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Uh, Phil Hebner, could you get us started? Just uh, offer us some comments and things for preachers to think about in the Beatitudes. Sure, some uh, general comments here. Um, you know, if you want to start just from the very beginning here of the chapter, um, I was browsing through Luther's comments on this, and <laughs> if you want a good smile or laugh, take a look at Luther's comments on the Sermon on the Mount, because he comes out in typical Luther guns blazing uh, type of fashion, maybe mildly crass in some of his comments that he makes, um, but just some really good comments that he has about a preacher, Jesus, a preacher, chapter five, verses one and two. Um, there's people, he finds a place, and he opens his mouth, and he starts talking. Uh, and so we do the same thing that we um, preach the word to the people boldly, confidently, and we preach a message that is unexpected. And that's exactly what we have here in the Beatitudes. So if we're talking about Beatitudes, and again, in English, that's blessed or blessed, we probably better start with what exactly is that word. So in Greek, it's makarios or makarioi, 
uh, in the plural, and it's blessed. And then if, if, if you look it up, there's alternative definitions of like happy or fortunate or, you know, privileged in the sense that you receive blessings, I guess. Um, you know, this is a word that I think is really misused a lot in our English context because we normally only think of physical blessings. Um, you think of a celebrity, you know, winning an award, an athlete winning a championship, or we maybe get some windfall of tax breaks or, you know, some other thing. And we, we say this often, right? I'm blessed. I'm just so blessed. Um, but rarely do we talk about it in the terms that Jesus does, you know, uh, man, I am really down and out. I'm mourning right now. I'm so blessed. Uh, and so we have to think about what does it mean to be happy, to be fortunate, to be blessed. Um, my understanding is that in the Hebrew, um, you know, this, this word coming to the Septuagint is not shalom, uh, but more often like a share or a shirai, like Psalm uh, 1 verse 1, you know, blessed is the one who dot, dot, dot. That's this word makarios in the Septuagint. But it kind of seems like the general concept of shalom, like having this spiritual prosperity, like things are good because your relationship with God is good. That general shalom peace is kind of what we're getting at here with what it means to be blessed or happy or fortunate. And so Jesus starts off with these series of statements, each starting with the word makarioi, um, blessed are, and then he has... Um, a plural descriptor. So blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, you know, blessed are, et cetera, et cetera. And then he makes these statements, which are so contrary to our logic, to this world. And then he explains each one. So he gives it a context. Well, you're blessed when you mourn haughty because of this, because of this, because of this. Um, in the Greek and, and in the English, some of these statements are listed, I suppose, kind of poetically, you know, verses three to 10, where they're kind of inset uh, with some tabs, I guess, in the text. It's interesting that verses three and 10 kind of bracket it in the sense that there's the huton estin he basilai ton uranon. Um, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, sort of bracketed. I guess there's the one extra blessed uh, in verse 11. Um, so to think about how Jesus flips it upside down and what blessed really actually means, I love how the first Corinthians text ties in because really it's that whole chapter one of first Corinthians foolishness of God, which starts to bring meaning and understanding to how we can possibly be blessed, happy, fortunate in these kinds of, um, strange circumstances that Jesus talks about. So I'll just start with those comments generally and then kick it over to you guys to, to add to that more full thought. Yeah, thanks for setting that foundation for us. Phil Kasmer, uh, just want to build on that a little bit uh, with your thoughts or reflections on the text. The uh, makarioi, just to seek that out, I think in New Testament Greek use too, really only has one use. And I think it was an axe um, that is kind of like some blessed earthly stuff, like the things that we would naturally think of. And then pretty much every other use is this, um, people who are receiving God's favor or the operation of believers, as Phil said, under God's blessing. Uh, so that, you know, that should be probably then the frame in which we talk about what does he mean when he says the poor in spirit or those who are mourning um, or the meek, 
for the ones who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness. The frame is, you know, what, what is our operation as believers? Um, and to reference also that bracket in three and 10, you know, we have uh, verb forms in this section, statements of Jesus, blessed are, and then in the middle, they are all, or theirs will be, or they will be. But in three and 10, it's the present tense use of uh, the verb that declares a present reality now, the kingdom of heaven is theirs, um, or whatever that's worth. That's the place in which we operate now. And then there will be blessings that come. And then the other thing we said, I suppose, is um, since we're talking with believers in verse one, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. Um, we aren't most probably talking about what we do then to achieve some state of blessedness, but kind of a, a factual relation of what God's blessed status is and the one that we have. Uh, by faith in Christ, well described in 1 Corinthians, prophesied in Zephaniah. Yeah, uh, I think that's a challenge with this text is uh, to see the um, the present realities being described. Um, maybe preachers don't need to be uh, warned about this, but we'll say it anyway. Um, this is a classic text for moralizing, isn't it? You know, here are all these things you ought to be, so work really hard to be them, uh, and then you can be a good disciple of Jesus. Um, whereas uh, both of you have mentioned that you know this is talking about the upside-down reality of being right now uh, as part of Jesus' kingdom, uh, or possessing the kingdom, really, as verse 3 says, as one of his disciples. Um, let's talk a little bit about law and gospel and how you approach that, and we've hinted at it already, um, but um, how would you go about uh, encouraging preachers to divide law and gospel here, or um, uh, how to point out um, uh, a sin problem in the text and how this addresses it with uh, the gospel in a unique way? Um, thoughts about law and gospel that might be helpful to preachers? Phil Hebner? Um, so I think maybe the clue for both is where Jesus is directing us, you know, that heavenward focus. So we have the three and 10, right? The kingdom of heaven is yours now. Uh, and we have great is your reward, verse 12 in heaven. Uh, and you have those present realities that it's a now thing. And even verse 12 reflects that too, with the two imperatives, rejoice and be glad. And so I guess I would focus some of the law and gospel on, uh, well, I guess we'll go law first that so often this world and we ourselves have um, such a worldly focus, you know, like a horse with blinders on, we only see what's right in front of our face. So whether that's um, from a positive side, the worldly blessings, the physical things that I have, or from a negative side, we can think about each of these situations that Jesus is talking about, you know, when we're mourning, when we're persecuted, and just looking what, what's right in front of us, it seems so um, not blessed you know, how unhappy we are, how hard this is, how terrible. And uh, that can lead us to doubts, to questions, to giving up and wondering, you know, is it worth it to take up my cross and follow Jesus? Uh, but Jesus is giving us a completely different focus here um, that this world is not the end. In fact, he has a different paradise, even better prepared for us. 
And, and not only is it like, man, I hope I make it through this marathon and get there someday, but Jesus is saying, you already have the championship trophy in your hands right now. You know, I have suffered with you. I have done this with you and I have suffered for your sins for you and risen to life so that you have life. And Hey, by the way, it's all yours now rejoice now be glad now because heaven is yours now it's a blessing to look up to with the tears in your eyes even that's okay but you can still rejoice and be glad knowing what i have won for you here and for all eternity uh, so i guess that's maybe where i would take law and gospel a little bit but um excited to hear what you guys would think about your, your spins on the text as well great uh phil casmer I was thinking the same thing. I don't know if I could say that better. Um, it is the here and now so often that causes a problem for me. I, maybe I would only add, you know, we have opportunity in all these three through 10, three through 11, um, things that we see as negative, uh, that our sin shows up often where we try to write those things or move them into another direction um, and thus be blessed. Uh, and we're missing everything Phil rightly said, what we have already, um, but seeking after something else. I don't want to be poor. I'm going to do everything I can to be wealthy. I don't know if that's the direct comparison with poor in spirit, but um, you know, I don't like when people lie about me or speak ill about me. So I'm going to do everything I can to not have that be, create a different reality. Um, just for the, the outward revelation or seeing of my sin, I think, there's tons of pictures in here that show it, that we missed the kernel that Bill rightly put down. Yeah, so the, the tendency of our flesh to say, I need to create blessedness for myself. And uh, I look around and say, well, how do I do that? And follow the lead of everybody but Jesus and say, here's the, the situation I need to manufacture so that I can be truly blessed. Uh, yeah, maybe some good thoughts related to a, a malady in the text there that you can bring out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you're, you guys both mentioned kind of the unique gospel in this text is um, seeing the blessedness that Jesus has given us already uh, that we possess now um, in spite of what we may see and feel around us. Um, he kind of tips everything upside down and says, uh, when you think you're least blessed, maybe you're most blessed, um, because we're disciples of Jesus, we're children of the Father, uh, and so ju just going by what we see and feel around us, um, that's not the, the determining factor, um, rather this grace of Jesus that uh, flips everything upside down is. Phil Hebner. So maybe we can just tie it back a little bit to the, the theme then, huh? T trust in God's strength. Mm -hmm. As we just think about some of these phrases, you know, when I'm, when I'm poor in spirit and just hanging on by a thread for whatever struggles I, I'm going through in life, um, to trust in God's strength, to know that I have heaven, you know, and all of heaven's blessings right now. Or to think about the, the things that we want. I just want a few more minutes with my loved one who's died. I'm mourning. But I trust in God's strength. I'm comforted that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Or just kind of skipping around a, a little bit, uh, you know, to show mercy to someone or to be pure in heart uh, or to not take vengeance on people and, and to show peace. Those are not at all 
normal things and you look so weak in this world, but I trust in God's strength. You know, Jesus, who is the judge who takes vengeance, Jesus, who is the merciful uh, savior who had mercy on me, uh, Jesus, who wants a good relationship with me and so wants me to have a pure heart like he does. Um, all these things are the strength that he alone gives um, as our God and savior that, to get us through these situations. And again, when I start to understand that, I think that's when this whole heaven perspective and true rejoicing and joy comes in. It's, it's what he gives. It's what he does. It's what he does in me and through me um, that really gives me joy. And well, Makarios. Uh, the blessedness, right? Phil Kasmer? I think there is a particular faith aspect too, of course, in here, but that like you look at verses 10 and 11, um, Blessed are the ones who are persecuted. Hanneken decaesines on account of righteousness or because of righteousness, which you could uh, loop into in verse 11, the same thing happens. Blessed are, and then all these things when just various terrible stuff is happening to you, but at the end of the verse, on account of me. Um, and so, you know, it isn't like just that I lost my job because the 2008 economy died or something. Um, it is in connection with my savior and the proclamation of him and living as his person and being pure in heart and those things that often the persecution comes, which is part of the difficulty. And yet the turn of faith is that's exactly where the reward is, the misthus. It's in connection with Christ and by his work. And so I don't know what I'm saying exactly how to express that, uh, that maybe is part of the law too, that I am tempted to run away from those things but it's absolutely only where the gospel is on account of Christ. Mm -hmm. Phil Hebner. And just to add to that thought and maybe wrap up just the, the text, because we haven't talked about this cool last line yet. Um, but what Phil is saying is so great. And then maybe summed up in some ways by Jesus, you know, this is tough for you. It, like Phil says, it's, it's a matter of faith to go through this, but then Jesus has that little tagline, you know, God's people have been through this before. And you're looking forward to this reward, but hey, guess what? Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Micah and so many more, they're going to be there, which I guess in some ways gets my epiphany thoughts going toward transfiguration when we see the appearance, you know, of those with Jesus on the mount. But, you know, they've been through it and Jesus said, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. They hated the prophets, they're going to hate you. But the reward, the blessing is the same for you as for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen this pattern before. Those who we thought were despised and totally rejected and losers uh, actually were blessed in ways that we couldn't imagine. Phil Kasmer? I think, a, you know, a hard word in this section is there in verse 12. We have the beautiful sanctification descriptions of rejoice and, and uh, you know, leap for joy, etc. that Phil mentioned before, but uh, misthust reward is not a word we use often and i think a word we shy away from in any kind of like faith context because rightly dogmatically we would say um salvation is not a reward but I, I think it's good to point out to our people that god does speak about faith operating and working in daily life with reward um and i i don't know you'd have to be careful about the way to do that so that you don't you know say i'm working for payment but um, in the, in the humble way of 
saying the best I could do is never enough, et cetera, or it isn't my good works that achieve something. And yet at the same time, that humility of faith says, I know that my God will take care of me, which is maybe a personal version of what Phil just said with, you know, we saw, we saw all these prophets who looked like their life was the worst and, and God took care of them. But that reward, I think, is a good idea to drill in on a little bit with people to say that God does take care of his people, which is where the blessings is fine. Yeah, there, God takes care of his people. Uh, there are blessings yet to come. Um, th this, will, this will be worth it. You'll see, and you'll see that and experience that one day. Maybe those are ideas wrapped up in that misthus or, or hinted at. Um, let's uh, just conclude by offering any other uh, thoughts, uh, illustrations, uh, theme ideas, um, angles you could use for bringing across the text. Uh, Phil Hebner. So I preached on this text three times in my ministry, and each time was a different sermon. So I'll admit to that, different sermons. And uh, I, it seems like I took kind of an inductive kind of approach each, each time, you know, because of the different ways this can become moralistic quickly, et cetera. And it's, I guess we have the gospel, but not like, you know, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so explicitly. Um, I think I heard my dad say one time, you know, sometimes the gospel is the one who's preaching the sermon, uh, Jesus. And so I guess the three times I preached on this text, I spend some time making the framework of how we can understand what Jesus is saying. And it's in fact, him, he who is preaching this text. So I guess what I did was I sort of maybe in an inductive way, just sort of meandered on, you know, how can we be blessed? How can we consider ourselves happy or fortunate in this world? And then giving the context of it's through Christ and Christ alone and what he does. And then with that, I guess each time in a little bit different way, I kind of walked through the Beatitudes then. So, you know, if there is a time even when the, the text is in a service folder or on a screen or something like that, or even if they open up their Bibles, this could be a good time to have the people sort of walk through verse by verse as you kind of talk about each statement. That could be a, a way to preach on this. Um, so I did that once, just kind of briefly all right, we understand Christ is the one who makes us blessed and brings these blessings to us. And so here's how that applies in this statement, in this statement, in this statement. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of different ways to take it, but that's how I've done it a couple of times, set the context or the stage, and then kind of walk through the statements that Jesus made. Okay, great. Uh, Phil Casper? Yeah, a couple of points. I, I don't always like, I look at um, Rosso's Gospel Handles book now and again, and I, I don't always like those connections. I think they can be a little thin. Um, but to Phil's point about the gospel is in the preacher, you know, for this text, Rosso mentions Jesus goes up on a mountain to preach. And in Epiphany, we're close to the other mountain he's going to go to where he dies. Um, so for whatever that's worth as a passing point to reference where righteousness comes from, um, that it is on account of Jesus, I think that's worthwhile. Um, Somehow in 15 years, I've never preached on this text. Uh, so I'll try to write that when the time comes around now. Um, but I do think perhaps in the theme, you, you just lay out the question of what is truly blessed or blessed because our world talks about that kind of life and so do we. Um, I was just watching YouTube videos with my daughter the other day and she picked some video about a tour of like a $28 million mansion. And she said, Dad, we've got to get one of these. <laughs> uh, 
And then we had to talk about, you know, economics and actual money. Um, but that's our world, right? Like if we have this much, we'll be okay. And I think that's a direct foil we can make. And perhaps the other picture to build on is um, we're talking about the kingdom of God. It's like we went to a whole nother kingdom, a whole nother land where everything is totally different. Uh, and then, of course, that land is present right here, that place where God rules. He brings all this blessing to us. So uh, there's so many good pictures in this text. It's hard to hard to choose, but I think Phil described it well. Just got to keep the focus on the blessing that Jesus brings. Yeah. Yeah, the the challenge is um, there's so uh, as with many texts, you know, there's so much. Each one of these uh, blessed statements, there's a lot to unpack there and a lot to ponder and think about and apply. Uh, so preachers will have to be, um, you know, uh, hold back a little bit maybe and and or try to be concise as they're if they're walking through some of the statements. I think one time I preached on this uh, text, I used the theme like "Blessed are the backward." Um, something like that, um, just to show, uh, yeah, that true blessedness is, it's its kind of the opposite of all the things that we might think or all the things you guys have just been talking about that we're drawn to in the world, um, to show that that real blessedness is given through the one who is delivering this sermon, who calls us to follow him. Um, that's where real blessedness is. But uh, yeah, I think that's got to be uh, a main emphasis of the sermon, just setting out what is Jesus saying here? This is where true blessedness is found, um, and it is ours um, yet to come in, in all its fullness. But right now, the reality is here, too, uh, in bringing that gospel truth across to listeners. Um, so uh, God bless you, preachers, as you develop those themes and work with this uh, famous sermon. We'll be coming back to it in our next uh, two episodes. But uh, this is a great foundation, the blessedness that we have in Jesus, the strength of his grace that we can count on in every situation. God bless you as you preach the word.